Hey y'all, I'm Maddie, author, speaker, and certified sommelier. I think we can all agree that life can get pretty tough at times. So I'm going on a journey to uncover how some of my favorite people are chasing joy in their lives. And I'm bringing you along with me. Through personal stories and funny encounters, I'm chatting with authors and entrepreneurs, musicians and brands to learn how they hang on to the good in life, even as the trouble comes. Because as life gets hard, joy is a choice we can make together. I'm Maddie, and this is the Enjoy Life Podcast. What's up, fam? Coming at you today for a little one-on-one you and me time. And I want to talk to you about hurry. And here's why. So lately in life and on the pod, I feel like we've been talking a lot about not just how to chase joy, but also what are some everyday enemies of it. And what I mean by that is I've been trying to be thoughtful about what are things that could be limiting my ability to experience joy just in in day-to-day ins and outs of life without me really realizing it. And, you know, in the last solo episode I did, we talked a lot about failure and that, you know, success itself is not by any means a threat to joy, but when the fear of failure or obsession with success starts to dictate your worth, your value, your internal peace and and contentment, then, then it in itself is a threat to our joy. And so something that has been top of mind and discussion for me this year is, you know, is this pace of life, this sort of just hurriedness of heart that is our culture, is that a an enemy of our joy? Are we unknowingly moving so quickly that we're missing opportunities to really feel the present happiness of the moment we're in. And uh, there's a couple of reasons that this topic has been sort of at the top of mind for me this year. And and one is that I started reading a book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I had, I bet, five or six different people in my life, totally unconnected, suggest reading this book in the last six months. And so I'm like, okay, take a hint. Maybe I should slow down. But um so we started reading this book my my girls group that meets every Wednesday night and his thesis and point essentially is that the rate at which the western world especially and the united states especially operates in terms of culture and media and demands and advertising and everything that we interact with and are pitched with on a daily basis has gotten us in this lifestyle of hurry that is this rat race that he is he is proposing is inhibiting us from living fully rich emotional and spiritual lives and in turn stealing our joy. He says right off the bat at the beginning of the book that spiritual teachers and masters both inside and outside the Christian tradition agree as do secular psychologists and mindfulness experts and all those people, that if there is a secret to happiness, he says it's the presence to the moment. That's where the joy is. The joy is in the moment we're in. And that seems simple, but I love how he puts it later on in the book. And he says, 
for many of us, the great danger is not that we will lose our faith or lose ourselves. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of our life. We will simply skim through our lives instead of actually living them. That was a haunting statement for me. We risk skimming through our lives instead of actually living them. And so his whole book is addressing this issue. Where does the issue come from? How can we combat it? How can we live more intentional, emotional, spiritual, and essentially joy-filled lives? And he gives, at risk of this becoming a book report, which I promise it won't, but he gives four major practices that are spiritual practices that are essentially antidotes to this hurried life that we're all very tempted to live and encouraged to live by culture. And his four are silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. And that's as much as I'm going to continue on with the book report. But I would encourage anyone to go read this book with the caveat that I didn't feel like my life was super hurried at the moment, like relative to a lot of my people who are full-time moms and in a full-time job or are in major seasons of transition and chaos. I feel like I've had the blessing over this year to really invest in my relationship and this project. And I've been a little slower, but all that to say, it still rocked my world. So wherever you are, highly suggest Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer. But the point of today is, in addition to those four rhythms that he offers, I want to suggest a fifth that has been the focus for me for 2023 and I think is also a rhythm and a practice to combat the hurry that can steal our joy. And I think it might be a little bit easier of a place to start. His four are really spiritual disciplines that take a pretty radical life shift. So I want to I want to start by talking about savoring, the act of savoring and what does that mean and why is it important to me and why has it become my word for this year? I mean, if you look at the basic definition of it, I don't think it would surprise anybody, right? It's defined as to experience something richly, to taste or smell something with pleasure, to delight in, to enjoy, to relish something. I love that word, relish. Like, when's the last time you relished something? And hear me say that I'm not inherently wired to live this way. I don't think many of us are. Some people are, and I can think of some, and I I admire them so much, but that's not how God built me, right? I'm built fast-paced and forward-thinking, and I hate wasting time. I love efficiency. And some of my friends are laughing right now because they're the ones that get the texts from me on random days when I've planned every minute of my day to where one thing lines up to the next, to the next, to the next, and I haven't had any like, quote unquote, wasted minutes, and I'll just text them efficiency high. And they'll send me, you know, the clap hands and say, great day. I mean, that's how much I love efficiency and not wasting time. It's the reason I don't read fiction books, to be honest with you. I know some of y'all are appalled by that, but I feel like it's a waste of time when I could be reading a nonfiction book where I'm learning something new. Anyway, all that to say, relish is not you know, the biggest component of my DNA. I'm not incredibly patient. I never have been. I've worked on it my whole life. And I'm thankful that I've been through things, really hard things that have led me to want to slow and want to be patient and 
want to savor this life. I mean, loss, especially tragic loss, but any loss, right, oftentimes teaches us the important things that we're otherwise moving too fast to learn. And for me, losing Ben and all of the grief that I had to fight through with that obviously has made time feel so much more precious. And knowing that in such a profound way has certainly led me to this place of wanting to relish, right? And cherish every bit. But I also think back to my whole experience of training in wine to become a sommelier, which I did in my 20s. And if you know anything about it or if you don't, it is essentially a process of intellectually learning about all of the wines in the world and then training your palate, your mouth, your your body to assess a wine and in such detail that you can make your best guess at what that wine is based on what you taste, what you observe, and then what you know about the wines uh, across the world. And the way that you learn that is by tremendous practice, tremendous attention to detail. And if you Google the Quartermaster Sommelier's tasting grid, you will see how extensive and detailed it is. That there's there's no drinking of the wine involved. That's what people were like, I can't believe you like drank six wines. And I was like, I tasted six wines, which is you take a couple sips in your mouth over the course of probably an hour, and you go through this grid that is sight, nose, or smell, palate, taste, initial conclusion, final conclusion, and you are learning to pick it apart at every level, to savor it, to understand it, to appreciate it so that you can understand what it is and then communicate that to other people. So all that to say, that image of savoring every bit and every detail as you try to gain the greatest understanding and appreciation of the wine is a good reminder for me as I go through my day, right? You can't live at that pace in every activity that you do, but am I taking the time to really look at every element of what's going on and savor it so that I can appreciate it more. And, you know, one of my best friends is a is a professional chef, and she often invites me to go to these, you know, tasting dinners with her where they're really works of art from the chef, and it's, you know, 8, 10, 12, 16 courses. And, you know, she invites me because she knows that I've learned to taste food in that way because of what I learned about wine, and it sounds – Silly, but you know, even when we do those things, because the dishes are art, right? I can enjoy one of the courses, even if it has an ingredient that I don't normally like. The reason being, I'm pausing to see it and respect it and appreciate how beautifully it works in the composition of the whole dish. And I just, I know some of y'all don't love all of this like I do, but. It's a good reminder and a good metaphor for me that if we live at the pace that culture sort of pushes us to live at, man, we miss all of the nuance and the beauty and ultimately the appreciation of what's in front of us. And sort of as a little sidebar to the tasting example about when even if I don't like an ingredient, I always can respect and appreciate the composition of the dish. I know many of you are thinking there's nothing to savor in my life right now. There is nothing good that I want to focus in on and hold and relish. And obviously, I understand that feeling in a big way. And grief and pain and stress, obviously, 
those hard seasons make it more difficult to see the joy in our day-to-day lives. But what I would just try to speak to you is that in the most difficult seasons, the joys around you are actually more simple. And yes, they may be more difficult to see because of your circumstances, but the simple things become things worth relishing. I'm telling you, they really lift your spirit. I remember walking Ryman one day, not too long after Ben had died and and around our neighborhood and just coming up this big hill and just tears streaming down my face beneath my sunglasses. I wore sunglasses every time I walked, even if it was cloudy, because I couldn't help. It was just like my time with my thoughts and my time with God, and I would bawl every time. So I'm streaming, tears streaming down my sunglasses, getting up to the top of this hill, just being like, God, I need you today. And this soft little breeze coming through, and it was not a windy day at all. And it was literally like a hug from Jesus himself. And I know that sounds silly, but in that moment, that was everything for me. And I tried to savor it. And I remember feeling then too, like if I went outside and just felt the direct sunlight on my face, like if a cloud passed by, just my whole body softening and exhaling and there being some levity and joy in it. So I say all that to say, like, pay attention to these tiny, simple things if you're in a season where you don't feel like you have anything to savor because God is in those and joy is in those. And it just takes keeping your eyes open to the things that you maybe wouldn't have noticed in another season. It's all there. So why savor? Why this year? Why now? Why are we talking about this? Why when my Bible study group was together at the beginning of the year and one of the girls said, what's everybody's word for this year? Which is not a practice I've always done, so I didn't, I hadn't really thought about it yet. And when it came around to me, the word that instantly came up was safer. And I think it is simply because I feel when I look back, like I have rushed through the biggest moments in my life. And I don't know if you feel like that when you look back and and never really regret anything that happened, but maybe regret not pausing enough on those days, right? To really soak the best of it in. And I, I remember even specifically thinking after my high school graduation, which was so exciting. I was such a nerd. I love school. This was a big deal. I got to do a speech at the very end for the whole class and everybody in attendance that had practiced and practiced and practiced, like almost had it memorized. Mom and I, you know, had spent weeks shopping for the perfect dress. And that morning, everyone rushing to like get our hair done and our makeup. And you don't get to do that a lot as a kid and how exciting that was. And then getting to the the church early to get their best spot and press my cap and gown and get ready and sitting and worrying through the whole ceremony about my speech and not hearing anything else that went on and getting up and doing it. And then all of a sudden we're outside and we're taking pictures. And I remember looking at mom and being like, why did that go so fast? Like, I feel like I missed it. Like we've been talking and anticipating and planning and it's the biggest moment realistically in your life at that point at 17 or 18 years old. And I felt like I missed it. And that's what happens. Y'all like I've seen it over and over and, and I've seen it in planning Ben and I's wedding and feeling like you're on this hamster wheel of decisions. And, and I've seen it in other friends who've gotten married and have children and you just get caught in the momentum. And now After everything I've been through, I just want to be like, let's savor everything. And I know a lot of that is because of my wedding coming up and not wanting to blaze through our engagement and not wanting to blaze through 
the planning and not wanting to blaze through the day. You know, I just, like I've said, I'm a fast mover. And by God's grace, I've had two incredibly wonderful men to fall in love with. And I've had two pretty fast engagements. Honestly, I think, I, I think actually both Ben and Connor proposed after about 10 months of dating. And, you know, thank the Lord, I've had to kind of when you know, you knows kind of situation. And I believe that's true because it's happened to me. But, you know, I think coming into everything with Connor this time, I had the idea of savoring in my heart with before I ever had the words to describe that new posture and that new pace. Because when we met, I certainly, when you knew, you knew again. And especially being, you know, four or so years down the road, being in my 30s and knowing that we both wanted to be married, we both wanted a family, I think I felt like this was going to move quickly again. And so we both were very intentional to kind of move slowly at the beginning. And I know there's plenty of people who know us who are laughing and being like, you shouldn't lie on your podcast. Because in all reality, it wasn't a slow, like our time frame wasn't slow so much as we were very intentional with our time, especially in the beginning of our dating relationship. And, you know, in the past, I would have with Ben or with a project or with a friend or with anything, I would just jump in off to the races and just start running forward and not take any time to really build a proper foundation for whatever relationship or project or whatever I'm pursuing. And I think in the past, had we met five, six, seven, eight years ago, we would have just started running, you know, like this side by side race. And yes, you're running together and you're building together. But with Connor, I felt like the way that I wanted to savor this time, the way that I wanted to start was rather than running toward something side by side, we stayed very committed to growing toward each other face to face before we invited other people in, right? Before we did a bunch of group activities or family activities, we started face to face. And we really did for the first several months just build our foundation the best we could without any outside influences. And then the next step is, of course, integrate your family. And then the next step down the road is integrate your friends and start doing group things and trips with people and that sort of thing. But it took discipline and it was really hard because we were so excited. We wanted to share one another with our people. But I think down deep, we knew the way for us to savor every moment of this, the way for us to feel every moment of joy and butterflies and all the things that you don't know that you can feel again at 30 something years old was to take that time just with each other. And to be honest, it, I think offended some people that were close, very close to us just because they felt like they were missing out on this new person who we were falling in love with and just respectfully had to say, we're savoring this now. And when our foundation is secure and ready to invite others in, we will. And now everyone is so, I think, respectful and appreciative of that process. And I wouldn't change a thing about it. Every stage has been super, super special. And even going into the wedding planning this past year and doing all of those things, again, it's like I feel like I've enjoyed the tasks and I have truly been able to relish the fact that I get to do this instead of racing through them like I might have in the past. And 
Even I think about, you know, we were having to go through this very long list of of music options and details and things for the for the band people that we are getting to use. And that in, could have felt like a deadline. Like I could have made this a task and been like, this is when we need to submit this. I need you to go through it and send me everything that you want and don't want. Or what we could do and did do was turn it into a date night where it was like, all right, let's go through and we won't play every song, but we'll play the ones that we love and cross off the ones that we probably don't want. And we'll have dinner and we'll have wine and we'll dance to these songs in the kitchen. And it became a date instead of a deadline. And like, to me, that is just, it's accomplishing the same thing, but it's totally like the heart and environment and attention and intentionality that you create around that task. And so all that to say, as we've been preparing for the wedding and for our marriage and doing everything that it takes to build the most secure foundation you can, you know, going into a marriage, the counseling and looking at finances and logistics and dreaming together and laying foundations for the next year or two years or five years, you know, we're trying to savor, to beat the word to death, the experience of dreaming without feeling the pressure of having everything figured out. Like tomorrow will come. We will figure out those things and establish our own new habits and rhythms when we get there. But I don't want to compromise the butterflies of the engagement season by putting too many of the burdens that come with with a marriage right now. And this tension is so hard. Savoring really is learning to balance the tension between doing what must be done, right, to prepare and move forward, but also savoring the moment you're in. I see this every single day with parents and I say with zero judgment, but they always say, right, like, this is so hard. I can't wait till they can walk or this is so hard. I can't wait till they're in school full time or yada, 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 just from one season to the next. And it's like you talk to people who are ahead of you and they say, don't miss it. That season was actually so great. I wish I hadn't missed it. So all of this just being on my plate, being my reality right now has just led me to ponder this word saver and what does it really look like in your day-to-day life? And is this maybe the simplest place to start seeking joy in 24-hour time periods? So, I mean, practically, what does that mean? You know, like, what have I changed? Obviously, I love the hurry book, John Mark Comer. He says it starts with slowing, just slowing your pace. And I, I do believe that and have tried to do that when I can in ways that make sense for what are responsibilities that are really on my plate to get done. And I think the second step to that is prioritizing. For example, I am reading a new book this morning and or this week and got up, like did my coffee, got in my chair, and I knew I had about three things on my to-do list that I could get done before this call at like nine. And usually I would just go ahead and do them because I love to cross them off the list. So satisfying. But I actually stopped this morning and said, okay, in this 40 minutes, I could either rush to get that done Or I can stay here and drink my coffee while it's hot and savor these 40 minutes of this one chapter I want to read and actually sit in it and let its words seep into my heart to start my day instead of rushing through it in 15 minutes later, which I know that I'll do. And so to me, those three things still got done, but they were not a priority over that time to pour into myself to start my day. And so that's kind of what I mean by prioritizing. Like, I'm not 
living in a dream world, okay? We all have very serious responsibilities and imperative things that must be done every day for people to eat and live and have clothing and have financial means and survive, okay? We have to do those things. But what I've realized is many of the things on my to-do list every day really can roll over to tomorrow without doing any harm to anyone. And that's okay. And that's prioritizing. And I think when we do that, when we slow, when we prioritize, and then here's the kicker, when we say no to things that are not priorities, that do not fill us up, that are not a necessity for our and our family's livelihood and flourishing, the result of that is margin. The result of it is margin. When we teach ourselves to say no in order to make space, then we have room to say yes to the things we really want to savor that really bring life and joy and peace and contentment to our 24-hour timeframes. And how John Mark Comer, my favorite author of the hour, defines margin is the space between our load and our limits. I think that's beautiful. Margin, the space between our load and our limits. And isn't that space where the joy is? That's where the joy is, y'all. It's in those margins that we have to slow and prioritize and say some no's to say yes to that space, to have joy. It's the whole point of the show, right? It's it's that we have a choice. We have agency for joy in our seasons, in our days, in this hour of our lives. And my point is, is that the more I think about it and, and learn about it and pay attention, hurry and distraction and this crazy pace that culture says we should be running at really keeps us from savoring the little joys in our life. I think savoring is the simplest step we can take toward joy every day. And here's what it started to look like for me. It started like if I take Ryman outside for five minutes, I leave the phone inside. Or like if I am reading my book or having a quiet time or whatever, I just simply turn the phone over. This is not to vilify phones. It's just if I'm reading and it's sitting up straight and I see texts or whatever coming in, I am totally not present to what I'm wanting to read or do with Ryman or what have you. Just turn it over or leave it inside for like five minutes. Prioritize your to-do list. I already talked about that and that seems very OCD. But what I mean is if you have 10 things that you need to get done today, put a one, two, and three circled by the ones that actually have to get done and do them. And then if the other things can roll over and and compromise your margin for rest and joy today, let them roll over. Prioritize your to-dos. And honestly, watch watch the sunrise or sunset if you're not a morning person for five minutes uninterrupted and see what that does for your heart. It's amazing. So whatever those things look like for you, it takes some learning. It takes some trial and error. It takes adjusting to your personal schedule and demands. But whatever you can savor today, savor it. Man, mine's going to look like barbecue salmon. It's Ben's dad's recipe. It's the only one I use. It's amazing. And a beautiful glass of Sancerre and a cozy camo sweater because we can't kick winter here in Nashville and it's still cold. And none of these 
things are extraordinary. Like I have to cook dinner, right? I have to wear clothes, but I can either do them and fly through them and have the TV on and going through my Marco Polos all while I'm cooking dinner, or I can pause everything and play beautiful music and let it fill me up and let me enjoy what I'm doing. There was a book in my parents' powder room right off the kitchen where we grew up. I'll never forget because it was always sitting in there. There was a big book in the 90s or 2000s called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. You probably remember it. Well, I'm thinking like sop up the small stuff, y'all. Sop it up. Savor the little things. That's where the joy is. Anne Voskamp is actually the author. I'm reading one of her books right now. And one of her best lines in it, I think, is every forever is made up of the everydays. And man, I want my forever to look like joy. Don't you? Like your whole life, don't you want to look back and be like, it was marked by joy. That's what I want people to say about me at the end of my life. So if you want your forever to look like joy, start with the everyday. Start by savoring today. That, you guys, is where the joy is. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, y'all, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button or plus sign on your podcast app. This will ensure you don't miss a single episode. See you next time.